0: Welcome to the DrDavidMarlin.com Stable Science Podcast. I'm Dr David Marlin and along with a great team of experts I'm helping horse owners and riders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. In these podcasts we will discuss science-led research, technology, information and advice to help you care for your horses so they may live healthier, happier and longer lives. To support the podcast and all our research and science for horses go to our website www.drdavidmarlin.com and to learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.
4: right hello everybody and thank you very much for joining us whether you are watching or whether you are listening on the dr david marlin podcast or in the members group really nice to have you joining us Uh, for those of you that don't know me i am julian tabor i'm a physiotherapist but i am here in uh, my capacity as part of the dr david marlin team uh, to talk to uh, two guests that i've got with me today So I'm just going to talk a little bit about the topic to start with. Um, My area as a physiotherapist is obviously uh, to help horses, whether it be through rehab or performance. But actually, in my years in the industry, which are now a couple of decades, I have had my hands on quite a lot of racehorses. I worked in a racing yard. Once a week, I would go in for nine seasons. That's a flat racing yard. Um, I've got lots of clients that are point to pointing. And then also, I see a lot of thoroughbreds that uh, have come out of racing and now with sort of clients in their one to one homes having a, a super time after their racing careers. So, I'm particularly interested in this topic that we're going to talk about today. Um, So what I'd like to do is just to hand over to uh, the guys that I've got joining me and let them introduce themselves and who they are and what they do. So let me just pass over to Helena first.
1: Good morning, Gillian, and good morning to your listeners. Um, My name is Helena Flynn and I'm Programme Director with the Horse Welfare Board. It's lovely to be on.
4: Well, thank you for joining us. And then also we have Stephen with us.
3: Um, I'm Steve Wensley. I'm the project lead for the data projects within the the Horse Welfare Board's um, strategy.
4: Brilliant. Okay, so we are going to talk uh, a lot about the thoroughbred census, which is um, something that's particularly sort of on and uh, we're focusing on the moment, Uh, but. What I'd like to do to start with is just if uh, we can have a little bit of a sort of an introduction and overview of the Horse Welfare Board uh, so that you know, we can sort of know where this has all come from.
1: Yes, of course, Gillian. Um, the Horse Welfare Board, it all started in about 20, uh, 2020 um, and they developed a single overarching kind of strategy on behalf of the, the industry. And that strategy contained 26 projects that looked at all areas from aftercare, safety um, and and traceability and communication. Traceability was a key part of that strategy. And that's where that's where the census has been has been conceived. It's 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 looking to a big thing for the horse welfare board is closing that gap on on traceability. Um, for those of for those of you who don't know much about the, the the horse welfare board, it's it's made it's independently chaired, and it's got representation from across the industry, um, in terms of stakeholder representation. Its chair is is Barry Johnson, um, and they're they're a brilliant group of people that are incredibly passionate about horse welfare. The strategy, as I said, it's 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 the industry, it's the whole of the industry. So it's not it's not. We're very fortunate. We work, uh, Steve and myself, and, and the collective team work hand in hand with representatives representatives from right across the industry. Um, but yes, the census the census is incredibly important to us. It's it's the first ever census that's been launched in in the UK. And really, the core aim is to close that gap in traceability. It's one element. Uh, there's many initiatives that we're doing as a, as a horse welfare board team and in industry looking at traceability. But it's, it's one key element. And we're seeing a really, really good response from people. We already have uh, just shy, or is it just over at this point, Steve, of, of 4,000 returns um, in terms of, of the census. So, and it only kicked off in June. And you'll see it. It'll run from it'll run from June right through to December. And there'll be various from events to promotions to um, various opportunities happening during that time with our partners. Who's, we've been lucky, Gillian, that so many of the industry has come together and got behind this census, which is, is a fantastic place to be.
4: Yeah, absolutely. brilliantly, And I should also um, add that alongside the Horse Welfare Board, um, we've got Hartbury University supporting it as well, haven't we? And um, obviously my other hat is that I work for Hartbury University. So I I know a few of the team members that are working on it. Uh, You mentioned traceability. Um, Can you sort of explain that a bit and have you got any idea of numbers at sort of each stage through a thoroughbred's life in and out of racing?
3: Yeah, I, I, sorry, Steve. You have... uh, yeah, so <laughs> along with Heartbreed, we're also partnering with Weatherbees, yeah. the general stud book for the ferrobreads with this project, and World Horse Welfare and retraining racehorses as well to try and get the, the full coverage. Uh, with Weatherbees, they have they captured well, they issue the passports for all of the ferrobreds in the country. Um, their estimate was there's a population. An average lifespan of thoroughbred about 15 16 years. There's a population potentially of 75 80,000 horses wow. uh, in the country. <laughs> yeah, um, a faux crop is typically about 5,000 in Britain, although there's, mm-hmm. there's quite a few imported as well, particularly from Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got around about 10,000 horses in the breeding sector, and we've got Any well racing is is difficult because they have quite a lot of rest periods but somewhere around about 20,000 horses in in actual racing Mm -hmm. and those are the two areas where we've got good traceability where they have to register with bees for for the breeding side of things and they have to register with uh, licensed training yards so as soon as they go into a licensed training yard we've got good traceability whilst they're in that sector Outside of that we've got the um, gaps. So the the you know, if they transfer out of a, a breeding yard, we might lose them if they go into some like a, a pin hooking exercise or something like that, until they come into that racing yard. Uh and post racing as well. We the British um racing system captures the first step out of racing and what future intentions of the horse are, but then becomes a problem if there's two or three steps on and as the horse changes the ownership, quite often there's Passports are our, our main tool really for tracing them at those stages. And passport compliance isn't great across the equine industry, it's about 20% according to uh, Weather And that uh, stands up against uh, other industries, other uh, breeds as well. Mm-hmm. So we've, we're have we lucky in racing, we've got um, retraining of racehorses, and they've got about 12,000, I think it's 12,800 horses on their book, mm-hmm. um of horses that have left racing. So they've got to be qualified and have raced in order to uh, to register with ROR. So we've got, we've got good knowledge from where quite a lot of them go. Uh, we've got knowledge through weather bees of the ones that are exported. Because um, quite a lot of them can go on to other careers in, uh, go back to maybe the Middle East or go on to breeding in other countries, quite a lot go off to Ireland to the um, the breeding exercise across the two countries. There's quite a lot of travel backwards and forwards between Ireland and Britain with a lot of these horses. But there, are, we we identified there's, there's maybe around twelve thousand horses where we don't know where they've actually gone because of that um, transfer of ownership. Just not really following through with passport updates. So th- that was the the purpose of the exercise. Really was, can we try and find out where those horses are? And can we encourage people to update their passports if they have fallen out of uh, step? Or if the horse has died, can we encourage them to return the passport? And there's challenges there with um, people get very sentimental about passports. They want to retain that last link to their horse and they don't want to, to send it back. But bees will return a passport, but um, if they're given a cover note asking them to return it, so they will go through that process and send it back again. But people just aren't aware of that. And quite a, Um, we've just got to the halfway stage with the data collection uh, process for the census, and um, the data there showing that 20% of people aren't even aware that they're supposed to return a passport to the stud book at the, the end of the, the horse's natural life cycle. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so that, yes, yeah, so that's, our, that's our traceability cycle. So, we're trying to find birth rate to death horses that are in Britain. Well, we've got horses that have um, been registered on the census that have now. Emigrated. So we've had a horse emigrated to Australia. And the owners uh, entered that horse into the census. You know, it oh, fantastic. It. And
4: yeah. But,
3: and we now know where that horse is. And we've had, uh, there was a uh, aftercare organization in the Middle East as well that submitted its horses, to the horses that uh, the owners were Middle Eastern based. Mm-hmm. They could transfer those back to the Middle East without going through the formal export process. So we didn't actually know that they'd moved there. And that uh, so yeah. the flags up where those horses are. But, yeah, so, so there could be British thoroughbreds sort
4: of, uh, that you know are after racing anywhere in the world. Oh, yeah,
3: they, they're all over the yeah. Yeah, um, that's really that, interesting. The uh, yeah. horses yeah. reported in the census, I think from Paris, I think there was one from Abifa. Yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that uh, coming back after the holiday season?
3: <laughs> <laughs> we, we hope so. Hopefully, hope it's not partly too hard, yes. But,
4: so, Stephen, in that little bit that you were talking about, you mentioned the word pin hooking. Can you just tell us what that is? Because I don't know that phrase.
3: So, it's um, one of the stages uh, early in the horse's life where somebody identifies a horse with potential and they help to develop that horse in its early stages before it goes into uh, pre training and onto racing.
4: Ah, oh, right. I've not heard of that phrase. Okay, All right. Thank you. Um, can I ask this question? Why? Why is this important? Why do we need to know what these thoroughbreds are up to now? And specifically, you know, I am hinting sort of about the the idea of of welfare and knowing how we care for these horses. So if I can hand that why question over to you, perhaps Helena, do you want to uh step in there? Yes, it's it's incredibly important. Oh,
1: yeah. The reality is, I don't think most people know the key part they play, and it may be a small part, but it's an incredibly important part of returning the passport, of instilling responsible ownership. Most, the reality is, most people do a fantastic job out there, and you know, Stephen gave some examples there of, of you know, where people don't return passports. It's, it's there's, there's no malice in it. It's just, you know, there, there, it's often sentimental value, but it, but mm. it's key. Having that data for the industry, and and Steve also mentioned ROR there, our retraining of racehorses, uh, Mm -hmm. our partner that takes care of of aftercare for us. Um, It's incredibly important because we need to ensure we've got the right proposition in place when it comes to aftercare. We need to ensure that we have the right communications and and, and we're given the support these horses need. You know, if if you look at the strategy, the Horse Welfare Boards and Industry Strategy, it's not just the regulated space, you know. You're in that regulated space, we, we, we know where those horses are, we know the journey they take. What we want to learn more about, and we're already seeing some interesting data, is the, the paths they take horse racing. Um, I'm slightly in awe of these animals because they, they go on to other careers very successfully, whether it's polling, mm-hmm. polo, uh, polo, even. Uh, eventing happy hackers you know they 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 do so many great things and we've, we've seen so many now going on to equine therapy which is which is uh, quite exciting but it's incredibly important we need that data and I think as an industry we want to be able to confidently talk to where we know where these animals are that's what the public expect of us and I think that's only right and right and proper and My big ask of your listeners is, is that reality of we've all got a part to play. No one individual or one organization is going to solve this. And hence the reason why this partnership with Hartbury University is amazing. And that, you know, Weatherbees ROR, the Racing Foundation, who have funded this whole activity, is let's collectively remind everyone of their responsibilities so we can close the gap on traceability. And even if if we found ourselves in God forbid, we found ourselves in a situation where there was a, a disease, an equine disease breakout. we, we want to be readily able to to locate these animals and know where they are. so so that's the big part. As individuals, you might think you're not doing a whole lot by just putting back it, sending back a passport or completing a census, but it's it's the bigger picture. it's that bigger jigsaw puzzle that you're helping us solve. so it's incredibly important.
4: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And, you know, as part of the horse welfare board, you know, this is one element of the bigger picture, isn't it, as to what you're working on. Um, So what we were going to do is we're going to put in our um, members group links to some of the documents that you provide. And one of them is the Life Well Lived strategy. Um, Could you just give me a brief overview of that? Because I think this is an incredibly important document that is really reassuring when you read it that actually you know, everything is headed in the right direction. So, yeah, I'm we to about that. We call it, Gillian, we call it our little
1: Bible. As a team, <laughs> we live and breathe by this, by this strategy. It's a brilliant piece of work. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that because it's not my piece of work, so oh. <laughs> I, I, I could nod to some other brilliant people, um, yeah. namely, namely the Horse Welfare Board and Industry that, that put, this, put this together. Um, as I said, it looks beyond the regulated space. Mm. Uh, it looks at that whole life cycle of the horse, right through breeding, right through its career, and you know I, th- I think it's remembering that so many of these animals, some have a long career within racing, others it can be incredibly short because it's not like any athlete. It's 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 not for everyone. So it's it's really important that with this strategy we're looking at all the areas that kind of full life cycle and making sure that as an industry we can have that confidence that at every step of the way. We know where these animals are. We know where they're going, and obviously, it gets difficult when they leave racing after that first step out because you know that's when when there's the, it's not regulated. It's it's um, it's harder to know where these animals are. But the strategy, as you said, it's 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 a great piece of work. It it looks at areas of you know we've had a, a busy. We started about two years ago. I think it was Steve. It's uh, gone incredibly fast, um, and. You know we've looked at all areas from um in the safety space of a brilliant gentleman working with me mike etherting smith some of your some of your listeners may know mike but mike yeah from yes, venting yeah mike brings a wealth of wealth of experience um and he's looked at all areas of obstacle design improvements and developments around you know some of your listeners may have heard of orange to white And uh, mike spent his first year changing all the the jumps from orange to white. It was an equine vision pro- project because because horses see white better. So we're trying to in all these areas whether it be safety, traceability, aftercare. We're trying to look at continuous improvement. The reality is, Gillian, with a lot of these things, there's no there's no silver bullet. There's no one thing because you know we spend our days. How do we make racing safer? And we look, we look at every element of that. How do, how do we make that happen? If there was a silver bullet, we would have done it already. But it's, it, it's, it's really about that continuous improvement. And in my simple brain, I describe it as, as, as a jigsaw puzzle with each one of these areas. And, and every little bit, like Mike's area, orange to white, looking at, you know, moving away from birch hurdles. looking at all the various elements, and, and collectively, we should see continuous improvement.
4: Yeah. For the public
1: aftercare is a really key area. I've got a lady a lady called uh, Pip Kirkby, who's looking at that. Pip's been in the industry quite some time. But she's looking at the the timely introduction of the aftercare funding review recommendations. And again, that's looking at, at ensuring there is a proposition there. There is support for horses when they leave, they leave um, training. And we've partnered with heroes um, in, in Wantage. They're doing a fantastic job. And they're taking care of that first step out for us, ensuring that, you know, some of these animals, some go straight from trainers and they never have an issue. And, and, and that, that's brilliant. But there are some that need that bit of, like any of us would, uh, need that extra bit of help. And, and, and heroes are doing a brilliant, brilliant job at that. But as I said, the strategy is looking um, at the full, the full life cycle.
4: Yeah, that's interesting because we do talk quite a lot about social licensing within our group and I'm sure, you know, a lot of our listeners and viewers will be familiar with that concept and especially, you know, within racing, it it seems to, you know, you're you're in the press, you are the sort of, um, you know, the horses that everybody recognises, aren't you, compared with perhaps some of the other disciplines that, maybe more sort of the sporting ones um so you know it's really good and i'd urge anybody to read it it's it it is quite long but there's an executive summary at the top so you can you know have a a skip through that and then you can go to the, the pages that you want to as you go down but it is about this idea that the you know you're as the horse welfare board and racing isn't only concerned about horses in that space where they are racing you're looking at the before, you're looking at the pin hooking and all of that. And then you're looking at the aftercare. And, um, you know, that obviously the duration of that is a lot longer than, you know, yep. potentially the horses are, you know, in racing. Um, so, from my point of view as um, a physio, when I'm working with these horses, knowing what they've done in racing is important, but also knowing about that transition, how they've been retrained, and then also their future, because not all are going to be able to do what you see some of the you know the greats we've got some x-ray sources that are you know high level they're elite eventers aren't they and um with the polo and things and, and, and some aren't going to physically manage that but if we all know what they've done and how they're doing and the fact that they've been through this process and hopefully yeah we'll, we'll we'll get them doing a a really useful job after leaving racing so that's brilliant okay so can we go back to the the sensors then um who should fill in the census if you not that Stephen, who should oh. who, who do you want to fill in the census
3: ideally anybody who owns a thoroughbred that was in racing or <laughs> perfect so, um anybody's got an x race horse, come out of racing yeah uh, but we're also equally interested in the, the horses that have been through the breeding type but haven't made it into the racing world we want to know what those horses are as well um that's a a sector where we don't have that good yeah, traceability. We know a lot of those do go on to other careers like polo and eventing. Mm-hmm. And it's just finding out, finding out those stories. The more we can find out about these horses, the better education and um, uh, provision we can put in place with organisations like the Training resources and um, Targeted to particular areas, if we know there's a cluster in it, an area, maybe we can work with ROR to target particular education to those kind of areas. So it's, the more we know the better really so, we, so i do if
4: we... i, I am just going to say that you you said if you've got a horse that's come out racing now i know some of my clients horses don't have a, you know original passports but they might know a little bit of detail how would somebody who doesn't know where their horse has been in racing i mean talking about you know the, some people obviously can have their horse that they know the whole story of but i know that there are clients out there that don't i came across one recently that had one name on a passport it had this little sticky in the back so myself and um, the yard staff we googled it we're like ah this horse has raced they didn't know that it had so what tell me how do people find out whether the horse has been in the system
3: um well so if it's come through uh, britain britain or ireland it'll have a microchip um for Mm -hmm. most of these days um So that microchip can be scanned. Most vets have got uh, scanners. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the other professionals will have uh, scanners as well. So if you've got that microchip, Weatherby's, um, as mentioned earlier, the sub book, they've now got an e-passport system. So that 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 paper passport is now available as a digital passport, mm-hmm. and you can you can look up that microchip number on, on that system. So you can look up all the passport details through that. That's that's the way. Uh, that would give you the uh, the racing name that was registered on, under as well. So, and that would give you yeah. access to things like um, the British horse racing systems uh, um, records have got uh, the horses on there, but you do need the racing name. Same with things like uh, some of the media, like the Racing Post or Sporting Life yes. systems that give you the history of the horse. So, you can click through and see the races and you know, watch the replays and those kind of things as well. But you need the racing name. The best way to get that is. Yeah, um, from from the passport really. Oh, okay. And Wev- 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 bees would be um, willing to help out as well if you've got enough information to provide them to uh, help yeah. that identification because they want to make sure that the re- their records are accurate as well.
4: Yeah, yeah, and with the racing post, it's uh, anybody can type your name in, can't yeah. you? And you can, and I've yeah. done that with clients, and we found out where they said, Oh, yeah, only raced three times. Actually, it raced, you know, multiple times, and that's a very different picture to your, um, you know, how I'm going to uh, deal with that horse. But, um, right, so yeah. we're, so, we're going to uh, find out.
3: Oh, yeah. so so mo- most horses, um, they'll have that racing name for that way. Well, if they've come back in from a country like Hong Kong, they might have had a different name, so you might mm. have a, a, two different passports. The horse coming back in should be re registered by you know, Weather if it's imported. It will get a, a, a British passport uh, registration as well. So, so Weather Bees is really the, the point of contact. We're trying to find out those kind of those details.
4: Okay, so yeah, we need to go to Weather Bees, that's cool. Um, and then where do we find this census? I mean, we're going to share a link in the um, the, on the show notes, but also um, online. But um, is there so, sort of a central place, or can we find it in
3: different we, places? We, we, um, so, so one of our aims for this is uh, for ongoing traceability with ROR. ROR have an annual check in process for the horses, so that mm-hmm. provides us uh, an ongoing traceability for the horses uh, every year uh, where they check that the ownership details are up to date, the horses are still arrive, and, and then the circumstances have changed. So we partnered with ROI really, to try and encourage people to take up the free membership option, even if mm-hmm. they don't compete, uh, to take up that free membership option. And so we've hosted it onto the ROR website and the registration page to give people the opportunity to both complete the census and, if they're not already members of ROR, to um, become members at the same time. And that helps us then in not only for the census and giving us the details now, but in the ongoing years as well, providing that ongoing responsibility.
1: Yeah. And, and the only thing I was just going to say to Dean, what has been quite good so far is with Weatherby's just since June, we've seen a 33% increase in passable returns. So that's a good thing. Um, and with ROR membership, we've seen a 13% increase. They've already got 12,200 uh, membership on there. So the more we can grow that, the better. The more we can kind of engage this community and join hands together, share knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's really what we're looking for.
4: Absolutely. And supporting owners as well with racehorses that, you know, there may not always be a smooth transition, but talking to other people that have ex-racehorses and, you know, comparing stories and advice, I think that's also a, a bonus for that as well.
1: Yeah, I was on Monday. I had the pleasure of being up with new, at New Beginnings, just just outside York. And, and those guys do a fantastic job. And they were telling me it's always interesting to hear, you know, who rehomes these animals um who you know what, what what are the types of issues if horses come back what are the types of issues and a big thing is that education you know like most things with um with animals it's very rarely the animal that's the issue it's it's um i'll probably get shocked for saying that but I, but i truly believe it. it's very rarely the animal it's just some like all of us we need a little bit more time or a little bit more support and you know, a key thing, as you said, was you know the education, the education for owners, the support for owners. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you know, these animals are brilliant. They go into other careers. They do it incredibly, incredibly mm-hmm. well. Um, but we just need to make sure that we're matching them with the right owners, and those owners have the right kind of support and education in place uh, to help them on the journey.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. So um, everybody that's listening, please, if you have a thoroughbred, make sure you filled in the census. Um, so that's important. But if you know people that have got thoroughbreds, also, please share whether you, you know share this podcast, obviously, we'll be happy with that. But find the link on social media. I've seen it, Um, it comes up on my Facebook quite regularly. And I believe actually in the UK, the um, British equestrian um, sort of disciplines as well, I've seen it within British eventing. Um, So I'm sure, you know, it's going around those as well. So it probably, you know, it's not gonna take you very long, but it's really, really gonna help um, with this data collection. Um, So it's open now. So we're recording this at the beginning of October. We've still got uh, to the end of December
3: so until the end of December, um, if you're at Hoyes this week, you'll be able to go on to the careers in racing sites. They've, they've got some business cards you can pick up and take away. QR code, if that helps. Yeah. Um, there'll be uh, people at uh, Your Horse Live, um, she'll be at London Olympia. Uh, we'll be at the Cheltenham opening meeting as well. So we've got uh, several places where people can interact with uh, the, the teams as well
4: yeah. uh, so for
3: the rest of the year. Um, and there's currently a, a competition ongoing as well for a small bundle um, so that people might want to take part in that sample until the 13th of October, I think for a £500 pound NAF bundle. Oh, um, okay. so, and, uh, so that's been promoted quite widely as well and that's just encouraging people to share a picture of their horse and, uh, on, on social media with a couple of
4: hashtags. So. Presumably share a picture of your thoroughbred, I don't think I'm eligible for oh, yes, that. For but I don't right. have any <laughs> <to be> <laughs> But
3: but was,
4: was, yeah, <laughs> i um yes i i it's interesting that it's uh i my riding coach has has he trains r o r uh camps and um he's really pro x race horses and he just says that you know the, the thoroughbred is ultimately it's really versatile there is um a predictability to the thoroughbred even though you know they're they're, um, they're still a third to president today.
3: You know. they're so used to so many people around yeah. I think they just get used to it and you know yeah, yeah. adaptable than a lot of other breeds I think for a lot of people
4: yeah so actually part of doing this is is promoting the, the choices that people have with regards to you know selecting their riding yeah. horse there's a whole
3: range of um, activities it's not just sporting activity there's around about 40% of these horses are just hacking horses mm. uh, that's the people that are responding to the survey so far we're so seeing quite a yeah. lot of hacking, There's a lot of dressage. There's quite a lot of um, people that are in uh, um, hunting. We've got venting's quite high there as well. Um, polo. All of those activities are there, but leisure uh, use, particularly hacking, is uh, by the high, by far the highest. Yeah,
4: absolutely. And I, you know, I could name you, um, you know, a dozen plants I've seen in the last couple of months that have got x-ray sources and doing a variety of things so yeah so we're putting a plug there as well for people you know to to look for rehoming a x-ray source but um you've mentioned a few of the names of the centers that do that but you can go onto the ror website and they link don't they to the different ones around the country as well
1: yeah there's there's brilliant people out there Um i named but a few you know but uh, you know btrc and new beginnings up north i mean there's there's multiples there's there's, there's multiples around the country but they, they do an incredible job mm. um and, uh, here, is,
3: see- the, here is of course we've got the uh
1: yeah, who do the the first step out and it's interesting to see with these centers how they're diversifying and and looking here is a really good example of this um you know they look at the the kind of education side as well and they've brought in schools and seen some of the you know how the how how children who may be, um again i suppose a bit like the horses need a bit of extra support Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know and seeing how they interact with these animals and then then you look at the other side that some of the centers are looking at the equine therapy side and I'm really in awe of that seeing seeing these animals dealing with kind of terminally ill people and New beginnings were telling me this week that you know they take two of their horses um, around to hospitals, hospices, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's humbling. It, it, it's humbling. So I, you know, again with your with your listeners, do you know if you can go on and look at some of the stuff these centres are doing, or if you live nearby one, I would, I would advocate um, making time to go and spend. It's it, it's good for the soul. <clears throat> yeah, yeah.
4: Definitely- there you go. Just adding to the the versatility of the thoroughbred then to be involved yeah. in that kind of um, uh, initiative well i think uh, we should wrap up there with just final plug fill in the census if you haven't already um and then it just leaves me to say thank you very much to elaine and stephen for joining me and talking to me and that i will put lots of information in the show notes and we'll share it with the uh, dr david marlin members so that yeah you can um read more about it and find out more so yeah thank you very much guys thank you very much
2: for having us thank you hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter
3: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the Stable Science series. If you want to learn more about this topic and our work, head over to the drdavidmarlin.com website. Our website and community of members discuss a wide breadth of topics and the website houses thousands of articles, webinars, videos and research, all designed to help horse owners, riders, trainers and breeders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. The drdavidmarlin.com site is an independent information resource for all equestrians, a source of unbiased, science-based research. To learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.